This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Break down each week's brand new episode of the sixth live-action Star Trek series with us every Monday during the season. To subscribe on your iPhone, Android, or other device, visit our website at discoveringtrek.com. Hi, this is Kipley Brown, Lieutenant Barbara Smith on Star Trek Continues, course plotted for the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. little show this side of the alpha quadrant welcome friends welcome back to your independent star trek podcast i'm of course talking about trek geeks here we are we had a little bit of a break to introduce you all to our brand new show discovering trek and we have returned to talk more star trek i'm very excited i can't wait to do this and i can't do it alone much like we don't do it alone over on Discovering Trek. And joining me is the host of the aforementioned Discovering Trek. He's the lovely and talented Dan Davidson. Dan, um, we're back in the saddle, buddy. Back in the saddle again. I'm not going to sing that, but I'm very excited as well. It's great to be here. Thanks, man. Here we are, episode 116 of Trek Geeks. Of course, uh, like you mentioned, we've been having a little bit of a break so that listeners of Trek Geeks could start listening in, if they so choose, to Discovering Trek. And it's been a fun ride. It's a little busy doing two podcasts at the same time, I gotta say. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> I, um, you know, We knew we wanted to handle Star Trek Discovery a little differently, and we didn't necessarily want to drop it in the main feed. For people who weren't going to watch it right away, or you know, who, who didn't maybe want spoilers. So, breaking out the, the second show has been... A fantastic experience. The response has been tremendous. We have to thank everybody that has checked out Discovering Trek. And um, we appreciate everybody that's still coming to hear us on Trek Geeks because uh, we have a lot of fun here. We do have a lot of fun. It is it is great over on Discovering Trek. Uh, having a great time learning a lot of new stuff. And, of course, talking about new Trek is always exciting. But you know what? i got to say, it's also very exciting when you find out that people like, oh, I don't know, the Star Trek Discovery writer's room are tuning into our show. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit scary, but very exciting at the same time. But uh, it's good to be back here over on this side of the wall, so to speak. And uh, we're going to talk some fun stuff today, I think. We really are. Now, we want to you know, assure people that we are not going to talk Star Trek Discovery episode details on Trek Geeks. We're saving that for Discovering Trek, so fear not. We are just going to talk about all of the other great Trek on Trek Geeks. And today, Dan, we're actually going to talk about what I think is my favorite Enterprise episode. Oh, it's a great one. And you know what? I, I don't disagree. It's one of my top maybe top three or four um enterprise twilight a great great episode we got a lot of details we're going to talk about why we love it and uh it's it's fun to talk about a specific episode we did it just with our last episode with voyager and workforce part one and two and we figured why not keep it going back over here when we started back up with episode 116 absolutely and uh dan speaking of episode 116 115 other times you provided the contact information for this here podcast, the flagship of Trek Geeks, if you will. And uh, if you would be so kind as to regale us again with that info so people can send us their comments, questions, concerns, and otherwise musings on this particular episode. I would be honored to do so. As always, on Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and on Instagram, you can find us at Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com or give us a call at 508-784-1701 and leave us a voicemail. And as always, you can do the same thing over at speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. 
And as always, I say it every single time for the 116th time over on uh, Facebook, we have our official group, Camp Kittimer. Always great discussion going on out there. Lots of discovery threads. There are spoiler-filled threads, so keep your eyes open for those if you want to avoid them. Uh, if you want to join the group, just go right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And our admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, will let you right in to join in on all the fun. But as always, you must remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Back to you, Bill. Wow, you're very bassy this morning. It is morning as we record this, and uh, you almost sound like 70s ABC announcer guy. Well, I'm all about that bass. You know, about that bass. No trouble. No, no trouble. No. (laughs) No, Dan, no. Sorry. My friend, as we reconvene, I feel I must remind you that it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrants. <laughs> for all the news on all the Star Treks. <laughs> it's treknews.net. <laughs> Online at treknews.net. Dot net. And Dan perhaps needs a vocal surgeon at this point. <laughs> Dan, we're not going to talk Star Trek Discovery details, but we are going to talk a little news, which has nothing to do with the plot, so anybody listening doesn't have to worry. But it looks like the fall half of the season for Discovery has been extended. Yeah, this was kind of interesting news. Um, uh, just last week or a couple of days ago, they announced that instead of eight episodes to be seen during this first section of Star Trek Discovery, they've actually upped that to nine episodes. So uh, we will see nine episodes uh, through the fall. Then there's going to be a quick break. And then the remaining six episodes will be uh, shown starting in January of 2018. Uh, this does not mean that there are going to be extra episodes. It just means that they're shifting things around a little bit. So that's kind of cool. So we have a little extra discovering trek on the other side coming up uh, for the fall which is kind of cool we do i'm I'm still psyched that we're getting 15 episodes i am i i know i'm going to be bummed after episode 15 completes and we have to wait again for star trek (laughs) (laughs) at least it won't be 12 years this time oh no doubt i'm going to enjoy it while it lasts you know i was a big fan of the uh the the uh, the fx tv series the shield when it was on in first run and uh, I used to say that life was the downtime in between seasons of The Shield, which was usually about nine months. Because for three months, I would have appointment television every Tuesday night. So um, I have a feeling sure. that life will now be the downtime in between Discovery seasons. Um, Dan, speaking of, uh, of seasons, um, Halloween may be right around the corner. And we know you're a big fan, but Anovos, the replica costume and prop maker, has some big news for next Halloween, Dan. Yeah, why are they going to do this so far out? Because now I don't have anything to do for this Halloween. But that's okay. Uh, as you know, uh, Novos, the high, as you said, the high-quality replica prop company is releasing, finally, official Discovery uniforms. You're going to be able to get Command Gold, Sciences Silver, or Operations Copper. They're all going to be available in both male and female versions. Plus, as an added bonus, each uniform is going to come with an official QMX Delta badge. So that is very, very cool. Um, They're going to be available starting in the summer of 2018, but you can pre-order yours now at anovos.com. And I can see me sporting some pretty awesome blue with some gold Deltas down the side really soon, man. You know, in watching some of the the, the behind-the-scenes stuff they were releasing before Discovery came out, they had uh, the interview with the... uh, the uh, designer who did all the costuming. And they said that all those deltas essentially were hand-placed on the uniform. So I'm wondering how Anovos is going to replicate that. I, I can't wait to hear or see how that occurs because it's it's got to be painstaking. Oh, I imagine. I mean, their their stuff is pretty awesome. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this one comes out. I have never bought anything from Anovo, so I've only visited their uh, their booths at, at conventions like in Vegas. But it's pretty nice stuff. And you know, if, if I'm going to pull the trigger, this might be the one that I do it on. 
I know what you mean. I, I can't wait to see how you, how it looks on you, buddy. Maybe you'll wear it to STLV, uh, let's see, 2019 at this rate. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a long way away. <laughs> that is a long way away. Dan, what's not a long way away is Star Trek Online, in other Star Trek news, has released season 14. And uh, there's some familiar names, voices, and even some alien races. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I've been playing it a little bit more and more as time has gone on. I, I, I'd like to have more time. Well, I actually have more time now to play it, so maybe I'll play some more. With Season 14 has just uh, been released. It's called Emergence, and it's now available on PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. Good friend LeVar Burton, very familiar voice, will be Captain Geordi LaForge in this episode, or this season, I should say. And also, Kipley Brown from Star Trek Continues and Star Trek Enterprise is going to be returning as the voice of lurky Captain Kumarki, if I pronounce that correctly. Um, and what I found very interesting with this is the war with the Zinkethi will continue. And folks from Deep Space Nine may remember the Zinkethi were the alien race that almost had a war started in Deep Space Nine's The Adversary, where Odo killed a changeling. So I like how they're bringing that continuity and canon into the game. Uh, it's a good game. Anybody who plays MMORPGs and loves Star Trek, this is a game that you just got to check out. I think the thing I appreciate the most about Star Trek Online is the types of stories they create. I mean, they're actual plots. It's, it's not like a novel for gaming, at least from my perspective, mm -hmm. as, a, as a novice right. gamer. And I, I appreciate the care and feeding they put into these things and, you know, the fact that they're bringing back people like LeVar and Kipley and, and some of the people they brought back in the past. So it sounds pretty exciting. Um, I may have to try to pick up Star Trek Online again. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's free, which is good. Um, you can purchase stuff in-game, but the fact that it's a free download and you can play for free without really ever having to, to purchase anything uh, makes it, I think, a little bit more appealing to people. But uh, the graphics are great. Like you said, they brought back so many Star Trek names and faces to uh, redo their characters in the game. So uh, check it out. It's really worth it. Absolutely. And Dan, lastly in news, we would be horrible Trekkies if we didn't stop to recognize the 30th anniversary of the second live-action Star Trek series, wouldn't we? It really is amazing when you think about it. Um, I have friends, uh, family visiting up here this weekend as we record. And last night I said, do you guys know that it has been 30 years since the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation was released? It really is amazing when you think about it. On September 24th, 2017, we celebrated 30 years of TNG because on that same date in 1987 that encounter at Farpoint was released. And I think it's safe to say that the Star Trek universe would never, ever be the same. So uh, for Bill and I, happy anniversary, TNG. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Nice. Do you have a, uh, do you have a favorite moment from Encounter at Farpoint? Uh, the credits? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no I'm just kidding. Um... You know, I don't know. It's it's been such a long time since I've watched it, and 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 I will say it's difficult to watch. I know it's the first episode of TNG. There are some some things in it that are just are just tough. I mean, you have to see it because it's it's the pilot um, and the first you know first Star Trek that we had since the '60s. Uh, I'm going to be rewatching it soon, uh, several times, and I, I think I'll be able to answer that question better once I do because right now it's there's just so many things that are. I probably don't even remember that I, I may have liked. So I'm going to say that for me, I, I most appreciate the scene where Riker meets data. And I don't think I truly appreciated that scene until after the events of Star Trek nemesis. When I went back and watched Farpoint again, I think oh, it's, okay. I think it's a great bit of, of introduction um, to data. I think it's, or even though we see him before that, but I think we get the sense of his journey as as Riker refers to as, as Pinocchio. Uh, and everything about that scene, I think, is great with the exception of the Wesley involvement. The bit where Data... <laughs> oh. But no, I, and I mean that seriously. The bit where Data, you know, plucks yeah. him from the water and is essentially holding him up with his eyes really wide. Data, that is. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it, it's not great. So mm. if we look at that scene without that, I think it's a fantastic scene. It's probably my favorite in the episode. I will definitely be looking for my favorite. I know that it's not going to be great joy and gratitude. <laughs> that will not be that. No. <laughs> great joy and gratitude. Great joy 
and gratitude. I feel like if they hadn't stopped her, she would have just kept saying that for seven years. <laughs> well, you could just put it on loop, right? We're going to make that a meme now. <laughs> Buddy, we mentioned it earlier um, in introducing the topic for today's episode, but I really do have to uh, to say that I I think Twilight is probably my favorite episode of Star Trek Enterprise, and I have to say I I loved this episode from the moment I saw it, and it wasn't one that I came back to and said, oh, I think I like that one. No, it it was really strong with me right out of the gate, and um, it's one that I've I felt you know that strongly about since 2003 or four whenever it aired yeah it is it is such a strong strong episode i mean it's just the idea of the episode itself is is really amazing and the performances by all of the cast are just great um i was when when we talked about what we wanted to do for upcoming episodes and this one was on the list it was like oh that's a no-brainer we got to talk about this one because it's one of the best simply put yeah it really is and and this uh, i think we can't talk about this episode without analyzing the concept of the reset button in Star Trek. And, you know, there are <laughs> there are episodes in just about every series where events occur and stuff happens and some of it's pretty serious stuff and at the end it all gets reset back to normal. Like somebody pressed a giant reset button to set things back the way they were. And there's some times where this is done incredibly well and there are some times where this is not done incredibly well. And I have to say that of all the times we've seen this plot concept employed, this has got to be one of the top two or three, if not the best one. I 100% agree, and that's something we're actually going to talk about later on uh, in the in the in the episode here on Trek Geeks today. Is is it the best one ever? And we're going to talk about some examples. It's it's magnificently done, um, and it's done in a way that, <laughs> as weird as this is going to sound, it's believable. When you take into effect, uh, when you take into account the different sci-fi aspects, um, I thought it was brilliantly explained how they were going to do the reset, and uh, it, it it came off without a hitch. I agree. The other thing I like about this this particular episode is that it is absolutely part of the Zindi arc in season three, but it is not about the Zindi. And I think it's a great example of a standalone story that they were able to incorporate in the development of the Zindi arc that progressed that story and told something compelling while not making it, oh, great, the Enterprise is looking for the Zindi again. Oh, well. Um, I just I think that that piece of it is key to this whole episode. I think so, too. Um, of course, there are Zindi aspects to the episode, but for all intents and purposes, in the middle of the episode when they're getting boarded, which we'll, we'll hear about shortly, that could have been any alien race for as far as the story knew. Um, I thought it was done. It was a good break because, as I've said in the past, I kind of thought the Zindi arc was a little bit too long, um, and it kind of made the show suffer just a bit. So to have this thrown in the middle of the Zindi arc and have it not be part of the arc itself for most of the episode, was a nice break, and I thought it was placed very well in that arc of season three. Yes, three. and I, yeah, I'm pretty yes. sure it's like the sixth episode of season three, if memory mm-hmm. serves. Um, uh, sorry, the eighth episode, according to Memory Alpha. My bad. Um, That's okay. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, the other thing, too, is that it gives us an opportunity to dive into an aspect of these characters that we might not have had the opportunity to do otherwise. You know, it, it introduces us to some things that may be there under the surface, and it gets some of these things are acknowledged and not acknowledged, and some of these things are hinted at or stated obviously. And after this, we get to move on back to what the crew does. So I think it's a really fascinating examination of, of three characters in particular, which I know we're going to get into shortly. And Dan, that would be right after the trademarked and patented Trek Geeks three minute recap. Oh, three minutes, huh? Ooh. I'm, I know. Well, it's, you know me. <laughs> it's, it's touch and go with you anytime we do this. Um, I think I'm one for eight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you're being kind. <laughs> I'll, I, I will do my best. All right. Well, Dan, I am ready whenever you are, and you can regale us with the details of Enterprise's Twilight. 
Archer wakes during an attack and tries to get to the bridge, but he's stopped by security outside his quarters. Apparently, the captain has said that he needs to remain where he is. The captain? Hmm. Well, Archer cold-cocks the guard and goes to the bridge anyway, where he witnesses Earth's destruction by the Zindi weapon. He wakes again, but now he's several years older and confused about where he is. T'Pol, who's preparing his breakfast, explains that he was injured by an anomaly while trying to rescue her from its effects. His brain was infected by parasites that are preventing him from forming new long-term memories. He can never remember more than a few hours before the moment when he was infected. Admiral Forrest gives T'Pol a field commission, and she takes command when it became obvious that the captain could not be kept up to speed on their mission. T'Pol and the crew find the Zindi weapon, but Enterprise was severely damaged when T'Pol used a desperate battle tactic and rammed one docked Zindi ship into another. This maneuver pretty much destroyed the starboard warp nacelle and, oh yeah, killed Mayweather. Uh, The ship now cannot even make warp 2, and the Zindi weapon had already been deployed by the time Enterprise attacked it. After Earth's destruction, the Zindi continued to pursue humans across the sector until less than 6,000 remained. All those humans decided to set up a secret colony on the fifth planet of the SETI Alpha system. As long as they stay away from those pesky little SETI eels, they should be fine. And T'Pol resigns her commission to take care of Archer there, and Tucker becomes Enterprise's captain. Twelve years have now passed since Archer lost his memory, and T'Pol tells him that it's an important day. Flox has come from Denobula with a plan to eradicate the parasites which exist outside of normal space-time and therefore cannot be removed by any conventional means. They all travel to Enterprise, which is uncomfortable for Archer because from his perspective, he saw the crew just hours before when in reality they have all aged and many have been promoted or killed. The first treatment Archer receives is focused on one cluster of the parasites and the results show something extremely interesting and hopeful. When the parasites in their present were eradicated, all scans from the past 12 years show that the parasites are gone as well. But before Phlox can complete the treatment, Tucker discovers that the Zindi have used a spy to follow the doctor from Denobula and lead them to the hidden human colony. Captain Tucker orders the treatment stopped to preserve energy for the upcoming battle. Enterprise is badly damaged, despite bolstering to the shields provided by our friend General Shran. The bridge is destroyed, and all those on it, including Tucker, Hoshi, and Reed, are killed. Phlox, Archer, and T'Pol theorize that finishing his treatment may be the only way to stop the Zindi, for if the parasites were destroyed at previous points in the time continuum, Archer might have remained in command of Enterprise, and history may have unfolded differently. Unfortunately, the medical chamber has been damaged, so the only way to kill the parasites is a subspace implosion, which will unfortunately also kill Archer and destroy the ship. You know, those things happen. As they frantically work to overload the engines, both Phlox and T'Pol are killed by a Zindi boarding party. Archer, despite being shot twice, manages to complete the procedure to overload the engines before he collapses. Then the captain wakes in sickbay. T'Pol and Phlox tell him that they've cleared the anomalies, and he has a concussion. The ship has sustained only minor damage, and he's going to need to stay overnight in sickbay. At Archer's request, T'Pol brings him a pillow, and he tells her that she would make a wonderful nurse. The end. Wow, that um, that only took 17 minutes and 25 seconds. I'm stunned. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm getting better. <laughs> Actually, uh, 3 minutes, 51 seconds, buddy. Not bad. Oh, 51 seconds too long. Oh, oh. just have to wipe that from our memory. Oh, nice. We'll need a warp engine oh. to do that. Oh, okay. um, uh, by the way, buddy, could you could, could you get me a pillow? <laughs> and uh, that's going to bring up an interesting question, which I'm going to bring up later about and, uh, that uh, very how, last scene. Could you get the light? <laughs> <laughs> Rosemary's baby, really? Well, you know, I appreciate that they did things like movie night on the NXO one. I mean, it makes sense to me. And oh, it does. They're watching classic films, so why not Rosemary's Baby? <laughs> why not Halloween? Um, Friday the Thirteenth, because Rosemary's Baby is a classic. Pumpkinhead, <laughs> faces of Pumpkinhead. Oh, but when you do that for weeks, you know, I, I think the thing that surprises me the most about 
of this particular script is that it was originally developed as a story for Voyager. That's very interesting. I was not aware of that. Yeah, so uh, this is from Memory Alpha that I learned this, but according to Mike Sussman, he originally pitched this as, you know, Janeway is afflicted and Chakotay was her caretaker. And he says, quote, it was my attempt at writing a love story for those two, but I couldn't sell the Voyager producers on the idea. It turned out to work better as an Archer and Paul story anyway with the background of the Zindi war upping the stakes, end quote. I have to agree with him. I think, I don't know that this episode would have worked nearly as well on Voyager in hindsight. Well, I'm trying to think of scenes between Chakotay and, uh, and, and Janeway right now that would have been anywhere near as as cohesive and 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 tight as we saw with Archer and T'Pol. This one, oh, I can't see that at all. I really can't. No, I I can't either. Um, I I do, from the start of this episode, it's compelling, right? Archer wakes up. He's like, oh, what's going on? I got to get to the bridge, yo. And um, he's not allowed to get to the bridge. And I think the teaser is really effective in this episode. Oh, I think so too. And I just thought of this. We got to call our friends over at Fansets because I'm thinking a shirtless Archer pin might be in the works. Uh, no. No? (laughs) (laughs) No, it is great how he's like, what are you talking about? The captain doesn't want me on the bridge. And then he just punches the guy. It's beautiful. And I got to say, the destruction of Earth and his reaction as it's happening is really powerful. I will agree with his reaction. I'm kind of taken out of the CGI of the Earth getting exploded because it looks a little cartoonish to me. Oh, I don't mean it in that way. Yes, I agree with you there, especially um, when the beam is hitting land instead of the water, um, and then the the actual destruction of the planet itself. But just the the fact that oh my god, the Zindi weapon made it, and his reaction as it as it's as Earth is being destroyed is pretty cool. Sure, and, and in fairness, I thought the same thing in two thousand three. So um, I, I'm at least consistent <laughs> 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 on my standard deaf, you know, uh, tube television. I didn't love that effect. Uh, and in HD, it, in Blu-ray, it doesn't look as good now, but I still think the scene and Scott Bakula's reaction in that scene is, is really fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I, um, it's, it's interesting to see the dynamic and the change in command, because I don't know that T'Pol is necessarily prepared or wanting to take on the captaincy of the Enterprise. I have to agree with you there. I, I noticed in several scenes when she was captain and wearing the captain's uniform, she looked very uncomfortable. Um, she, I think she questioned some of her own decisions, especially after she was dressed down by Trip. Um, and, you know, when you're thrust into those situations, even though you're a Vulcan, uh, it's not going to be easy. I think I've said before in the past that um, sometimes Jolene's portrayal of a Vulcan seemed more emotional than it should be. I thought this was a perfect instance where that showing of emotion was perfectly placed. Uh, I agree. I, I've always liked her portrayal of T'Pol, and I've appreciated that there was some emotion. You know, although Vulcans have spent time around humans in the Star Trek timeline, this is really the first time, you know, if in the timeline of Star Trek that that Vulcans have spent this much time with humans, day and night, and you know, she's she's the one Vulcan among the Enterprise crew, and I think that would have an effect on her to some degree. Um, it doesn't. Yeah, on- I can I can definitely agree with that. We saw that with Spock to a, to an extent, but he was half human, so we always went with that. Oh, okay, he's half human. Um, with her being a full Vulcan, sometimes I wonder. But I totally totally get what you're saying, and and uh, I don't I don't doubt it. And I also think that that informs her affection for Archer, because I mean, let's face it, there is affection there, whether she chooses to admit it or not. And I chose that word specifically rather than love. Because at least earlier on in the episode, it's obvious that she cares for Archer deeply. Yes, and I also think that uh, that there's a guilt factor in there from him staying to rescue her. But it becomes evident, especially later in the episode, that she does have those feelings for him. That she either A, doesn't want to admit, or B, doesn't want to tell anybody about, or C, both, um, especially with the discussion with uh, Dr. Phlox. Now, if you think about this, she has likely spent every day of the last 12 years going through this exact 
same series of events. Archer wakes up. Archer gets confused. Archer looks in the mirror, sees that he's older, goes out, sees Paul there, and then says, Paul, what the hell is going on? And then she tells him the story. Now, she admits that she does it you know, in, in different ways. Sometimes it's a longer story. Sometimes it's a shorter story. But every day, she has to explain the last X number of years to Jonathan Archer. And I thought about that. And it really, in my mind, it made me draw a parallel to people suffering from Alzheimer's disease. And you know, that's something that's touched a lot of families. And it's something that's touched my family. And it reminds me of some of the later interactions with my great aunt. And I, I, it, it really kind of brought the episode home for me now in, in 2017 as we record this. You know, my great aunt was a, a brilliant woman by any estimation. She was among the first women admitted to the bar to practice law in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. You know, she was a suffragette. She fought for the women's right to vote, you know, nearly 100 years ago. She was the smartest person I ever knew. And toward the end of her life, it became a series of explaining moments of her life to her over and over until the end where, you know, she had regressed to a state where, you know, communication just wasn't easy or possible at one point. And it kind of really brought the reality of that home to me in the interactions between um, Archer and T'Pol. Wow. Uh, First of all, thanks for sharing that, man. Um, That's pretty uh, strong stuff. And I think it's another perfect example, and I never really thought of it until just now when you're telling that story. This is another great example of Star Trek taking on issues of the present day and turning it into a story that works. I've never thought of it in long those those instances. I did some quick calculations while you were talking because math is hard. And um, twelve years every day, and that might who knows was it more than every day once a day because he yeah. lost his memory after only a few hours. You're looking at just under forty four hundred times having to tell that story if it's once a day. And I think that's a great reason why we had a Vulcan staying with him because if it was anybody else, they would have gone crazy by then. Guarantee it. Well, if this had been Janeway and Chakotay, Chakotay would have mumbled 4,400 times. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Ouch. (laughs) Hey, I'm just going along with your song. (laughs) I do like in this episode that we get to see Euridian again. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, they're cool. I love the Euridians. And... I have to say, the um, the Trekkie nerd in me, as much as I love Enterprise and I love the ship, the NX-01, seeing that bridge just get you know exploded into space was pretty awesome, especially for 2003-level special effects. Oh, yeah. You didn't expect that either, I don't think. I know no. I didn't. It's like, okay, they're all dead. Now what? And on the same line... When we talked about the CGI not being great with the destruction of Earth, the CGI of the bridge, like you just said, but also when the ship is rammed and that starboard nacelle gets shredded, that is pretty nice looking stuff. Oh, I I can't agree more. That's you. Know, you can tell where some of the budget went for this. You know, it's it's mm. essentially it's kind of a bottle show. There's a lot of interior sets, but there is a lot of great CGI in this episode. With the exception of the destruction of Earth, which I get it is hard. It's a planet. Um, sure. Well, you know what they can do is they can always like you know superimpose the destruction of Vulcan from the rebooted movie, put it in as Earth, and then it looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, I have to say, I think Archer is particularly great in this episode. And, and by virtue of that, I think Bakula is too. I know a lot of fans that that aren't big fans of of Star of uh, Star Trek Enterprise or Scott Bakula, and I have to say that you know his performance in this episode was really driven home to me with one line, you know, where you get the frustration of Jonathan Archer and you get the depth of what Scott Bakula was trying to do in this scene, and it, the line is this: "I suppose there's not much point in thanking me. A few hours from now, I won't remember." Yeah, and it's like whoa. Yeah. And that's and, and, and even though it's not meant to, that's a huge punch in the gut to Paul. I think yeah. that's when she makes the decision that she's staying with him. I think so too. Yeah. I have to agree with you. I um the, you know, when we talk about episodes you and I, we usually come up with a list of things that we like and don't like. And 
in watching this episode a couple of times before discussing it today, I don't have anything in my don't like column with this episode. There are a few minor annoyances, like I said, with the destruction of Earth. But I think everything about this episode fires well. And it tells a complete story from start to finish. Um, almost like, uh, I'm not comparing it to the inner light, but I'm saying in the, in the same way that the inner light tells a complete story from start to finish, so does this episode. I agree, and I'm looking at our, our notes for the episode, and I don't have anything uh, for negatives um, at all either. Um, there really isn't anything negative about this. Some people might be upset that, oh, okay, so basically the events of the entire episode never happened. That happens in every series that we, we talk about on this show. There are episodes that have that quote-unquote reset button. So I don't count that as a negative. I count it as smart storytelling. Um yeah, the, episode, the the Earth being destroyed could be a nitpick, and there might be a couple of other things here or there where they copying Mirror Mirror by having Reed have a beard. I mean, they're such small things. And personally, I love that. I'm not calling calling that out as a negative, but um, there's just not anything to really grab onto and say this was a part of the episode that wasn't great because it's just a great episode all around. I got to say, I love the nod to Battlestar Galactica in this episode with the ragtag fleet. i you know at that point where they cut to space and you see all the bunch of ships i'm like oh my god it's the ragtag fleet it was uh (laughs) all right all right (laughs) we don't have to pay royalties um yeah really uh you know it was one of those little things you know we know humanity's reduced down to about six thousand people and the fact that you know there are ships orbiting the planet and it's this pretty beat up fleet makes sense. So I like that they were able to incorporate that nod, you know, in a way that was germane to the story. Yep. I, uh, that same scene, I just love the fact that it was SETI Alpha 5. I yeah. mean, that's just a great, a great um, homage to Star Trek Two and Space Seed. I thought it was brilliant, brilliant choice. It's a nice little irony, too. <laughs> you think? Yeah, you know because you know Khan is is sent there to to tame a world, and Archer is kind of sent there to, to to tame his his mind, you know. And yeah. there's a it, it's a weak allegory on my part, but I, I think it's still true. I, I actually think it's a great setting for this. Plus, we get to see it before it's all sandstorm like. <laughs> true and what i also liked about the fact that they're not only are they at seti alpha 5 they did the same thing that khan did with the botany bay they take all the components from the ships they came in to turn it into their settlement that's another great you know relation to the movie i thought this is the garden spot um <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time you'll Wrong ever have to do check off only time <laughs> <laughs> i um what else you got about this episode dan what did what, what moments really you know come through to you i'm a huge billingsley fan i just i just love what he did with this character and i appreciate i appreciate what billingsley does so much and i've seen him in other things since enterprise like true blood and he's hilarious in that but dr flox and in this episode in particular the future dr flox he spent a decade he left Enterprise to go home and try to find a cure for this. And it took him over 10 years to find this cure, which he didn't even know if it was going to work. That's dedication. And the way that, that John comes across as Flocks in this episode shows the care that he has for the captain, almost to the same extent that T'Pol does. Oh, without a doubt. You know, we see, we get to see some frustration with Flocks, who is the eternal optimist, right? I mean, mm. there's still that optimistic quality because he keeps working on this cure. But there are points in this where he clearly is frustrated because, you know, it, it's essentially taken Jonathan Archer away from the crew. And yeah. I think it's a yeah. really great performance. I, um, in fact, I, I think when, that, that whole trio of, of Phlox, Archer, and T'Pol is just really amazing in this episode, quite frankly. I think it is, too. I mean, when have you ever heard Phlox raise his voice to anyone, let alone the captain, but when he's trying to get the captain to tell him when he last talked to Tucker, he's he's almost yelling at him, say, you talked to him only a few minutes ago, or something like that, I forget the exact line, but you can see that frustration, and it's not meant towards Archer, um, but it's a great it's a great way to show that he is having trouble getting, getting to the fact that he knows that this isn't something he's going to be able to cure right away. Yeah, I agree with you. I also have to say that... Um you know, 
Trip and Malcolm, you know, in the future, twelve years from now, um, you know, they're they're beleaguered, you know, they're haggard, they're tired, they're worn out, you know, they've been aboard this ship for for twelve years, guarding this planet of sorts, and um, it shows, you know, yeah. And by the yeah. time by the time the Iridian shows up, they just they're at wit's end because they know that this is potentially the end of the human race, and I think that both. Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating do a great job with that brig scene with the Iridian, quite frankly. Oh, it's a great scene. And that's another a scene that shows the tension um, that they're all feeling after going through what they've been going through the last 10 years. I think it was very well done. And you don't see Tucker, you know, get that close to, you know, losing it like he did. And I thought it was, it was, it was a good scene. One thing that I found interesting though, is let's see. So let's see. Reed has gotten promoted to captain and Tucker has gotten promoted to captain and Hoshi is still communications officer. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't age either. She, yeah. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. So Dan, as we examine the central questions here that occur to us in watching Twilight, there's a couple of them, and I think they're pretty significant this time around. And you alluded to one of them earlier in the discussion, and it's this. Is DePaul's decision to stay with Archer for so many years due to all the guilt she feels, or is it because there's something more? It's a very good question. I think at the beginning, it is almost all because of the guilt she feels. She makes it very clear to him that she wanted him to leave her there and she thanked him for saving her otherwise it would have been her in this in this position so she's clearly feeling guilt over this and i think that she decides to stay with him because of that guilt now fast forward 12 years which we don't see any of but we talked about the 4400 times that she's going to be telling the story in some way there's going to be a bond that's going to probably build up over that time so i think at first it's pretty much due to guilt but there is an underlying affection that starts to come through during that 10 years plus that she is taking care of him uh, on the ship and on SETI Alpha 5. I think you're onto something there. I, I do think it starts out of guilt, but I don't think it takes long to turn to affection mm-hmm. and eventually love on her part, if T'Pol knows what that is even at this phase. Right. Because, I mean, like you said, she is completely Vulcan. You know, this mm-hmm. may be something she's never experienced before. Um, I particularly like the scene in Sick Bay with Flocks where, you know, Flocks is like, uh, have you said anything to him? And I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she almost looks like, what do you, like, what do you mean? You, you know? Yeah. And, and Flocks's <laughs> line is, you know, Vulcans have emotions. They're just better at hiding them than others. And I, it's just so perfect. It's a great scene between those two. But those two always have great scenes together in Enterprise. They do have great scenes, and it shows that Flox is such a great character, and he he is invested in the people that he cares for on the ship, and he takes note of what's going on, and he can tell how she feels. And the other thing that I love about this character, he's not afraid to say something about it. Too many times in real life and on Star Trek, you know, you got something that you want to say, you don't say it. He has no problem saying it, and he says it in a way that works. He says it in a way that's not insulting to T'Pol, and he says it in a way that maybe is kind of like giving her that push that she needs to say something if she ever has the opportunity which she never does, but uh, it's still done very, very well between the two of them in that scene. Yes, that's 100% true. And I think the thing that gets me about that scene is that, you know, because Archer's memory resets after every couple of hours, he would never know unless she said anything. Whereas naturally, if this occurred over time, you know, he might get the hint. And that's kind of the tragedy of that whole scene. Here's a curveball for you. Yeah. Do you think at any time during those 12 years that maybe she did express that? And since she knows that he's not going to remember it in a few hours, it's not something that she worries too, too much about? Wow. Um, She can hide her emotion still because it's not going to happen in a few hours. It's like it never happened. And she looks so concerned when Flock says something because she's like, oh, this has been something that I've been able to, quote unquote, hide for so long. And he sees it plain as day. I'm gonna say mm-hmm. I'm gonna say no, and I'm gonna say based on the scene where, you know, she tells Archer that you know our relationship has evolved. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, she says, uh, she says our relationship has evolved over the years. And there's a beat from Archer and he goes, exactly how far has it evolved? And then it cuts <laughs> to flocks arriving, if yes. I'm not mistaken. So I don't mm-hmm. know that she ever would have told him, um, yeah. at least in character, you know what I mean? I don't know if that would have fit. Oh, sure. Yeah, oh, I, I'm not saying that I think it did either. I'm just thinking that would be an interesting twist if that if that was something that happened. That's a good story dynamic. Oh, without a doubt. That would have been a... It'd be nice if there were a novel on this. That would be amazing. I'll get started on that. Oh, thank you. And Dan, okay. our other central question, again, we talked about the concept of the reset button, and we mentioned that there have been a number of them in, in Trek throughout the years, and I'm just going to run through a brief list. If you have any others to add to this list, you go right ahead. So sure. there's... Voyager's Year of Hell, fantastic two-part reset button episode. Mm-hmm. Yesterday's Enterprise, which you love and I don't. Right. Cause and Effect, which is probably the ultimate reset button episode because it gets punched every commercial break. <laughs> and The Visitor, which is a, pr- a pretty good reset button episode. Are there any others that come to your mind Right Those away. are the ones that I had on my list. Yeah, um, I'm sure that there are some other smaller ones, but nothing that that popped out like these do. These are the ones that you think of when you talk about reset button. Uh, and I got to tell you, man, it's we talked about is this the best reset button ever? And I used to always, I, I love Year of Hell. I think Year of Hell is great. I never really gave a lot of thought, even though it's it's on this list and I, I did jot it down, but the reset button factor from The Visitor is just, I think because The Visitor is such a powerful episode, you got to wonder, is that the best reset button episode or is it just because it's such a great episode that this is that's in the conversation? Twilight could be the best one in terms of how it's done. The entire science and science fiction behind what's going on and what's at stake, I think makes this quite possibly the best reset button episode ever, followed very, very, very closely by The Visitor. I think I'm the opposite of that. Okay. Because, and don't get me wrong, I love Twilight. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think this is a fantastic episode. If I weren't considering The Visitor, I would say this is hands down the best reset button episode in all of Star Trek. But for me, what makes the visitor's reset button even more compelling is the fact that Jake has to end the pattern. And the only way Jake can do that is by dying. And Cisco retains that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Cisco remembers. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what punches it home. And for me, it's it's just, it's gut-wrenching. It's visceral. You can see in that last scene where... You know, where the Benjamin Cisco we know is hugging the Jake's young Jake Cisco. And you can yeah. see the pain in his eyes and on his face. And that for me is what really kind of makes it one and makes Twilight one A. Okay. It, what's interesting with what I said is I would I, I'm gonna possibly put I'm gonna put this one as I said, probably as the best reset button, but the visitor's a better episode. Yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, The Visitor is one of the best All Trek episodes ever, ever. Um, especially with Tony Todd's performance, you can't say anything about The Visitor without talking about Mr. Todd because he's just brilliant in this. But um, it's they're they're so they're so so close. And Year of Hell, Year of Hell is a great reset button episode, but it's I don't know. There's something about it which doesn't make it as compelling as these two episodes that we're talking about right now, Visitor and, and Twilight. Um, Yesterday's Enterprise, you know, and, you know, you you have your thing about Yesterday's Enterprise. I like it, but I it's not as strong a reset button because we're talking about a parallel universe kind of. So it might is it really a reset button? Well, it could be. Uh, we could get into that argument later. <laughs> well, but we had this discussion in Yesterday's Enterprise. It's not a parallel exactly. universe. It's the same. Oh, timeline. that's true. That's right. It's a. It, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, worded incorrectly. Yeah. Um, and cause and effect, ultimate reset button. But um, just, I think the powerfulness of this episode and of the visitor is what puts those two in a class by themselves. Yes, I was going to say that, uh, and this occurred to me while you were talking. I think that you know the 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 value of the reset button is determined by the stakes it has for the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, granted, in cause and effect, people die every 15 minutes, but you know it's not a very personal story. And the thing True. that makes The Visitor and Twilight 
and even to some extent Year of Hell stand out is because they are very personal stories. In this mm-hmm. one, it's the story of T'Pol and Archer, and in The Visitor, it is it is Jake and Ben Sisko and their love. In Year of Hell, it's it's Anorax. Yeah. You know, it's it's what drives him and and the pain that drives him to to take these actions. So it, it it may not be the best, but I tell you what, it is not far off. It's a hair width, if anything. Oh, you you talking Year of Hell? Uh, no, I mean uh, Twilight. Uh, Twilight, not the best, but oh, it's a oh, hair yes, yes, off. Yes. Yeah, for me. No, it's funny. That it's, it's just a hair off when you're talking about Year of Hell and Anorax. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that was bad. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so Dan. Um, we're at the, uh, what I like to call the three stars, you know, anybody who watches hockey, I don't watch hockey mm. that much anymore, but there's usually three stars at the end of the game. Why don't you give me your three standouts on, on Discovering sure. Trek? We could call it your Starfleet commendations, if you will. Hey, uh, wow, look at that. Discovering Trek nice. online and available at discoveringtrek.com. Uh, but Dan, give me your three standouts. Yeah, my three standouts, um, I'll list them and then I'll get into detail. Uh, Jolene's performance as to Paul uh, is my top standout. Um the story by Michael Sussman and the direction by Robert Duncan McNeil is my second standout. And my third is John Billingsley. Um, Jolene does a great job. We've already talked about her several times in this episode. She's such a great job of playing different versions of T'Pol through this entire episode. We see the normal T'Pol. We see the Captain Nervous T'Pol. We see the um, affectionate for Archer T'Pol all in the same episode. And there are subtle changes to her appearance in each of these um, instances that we see her. She does a great, great job of uh, of her portrayal of T'Pol as she as she always does. And like I said, in this episode, the more emotion that we see is something that I think fits perfectly. Um the story by Michael Sussman, so interesting that, uh, as you pointed out, that it was originally written to be a Voyager episode. I just don't think that would have worked at all. But the story here on Enterprise works perfectly. And I didn't realize until probably my third time viewing it over the last week that it was directed by by Tom Paris. Um, I didn't realize that. I was going to say that because uh, I have to confess, I either didn't know or have forgotten that, that Robbie Duncan McNeil had directed this. And I have to say... Mm. He kills this episode I'm, in a good way. I mean, this is Frakes level directing, quite frankly. You know, oh, it's it's super, it's super. Uh, I didn't realize. I'm not sure how many Star Trek episodes in addition to this he's directed, but watching this one makes me want to go find out and specifically watch those to see how he does. Um, it's great. I believe he just recently did an episode of the Orville as well. I'm not positive, yes. but I, that's 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 in my head. Um, it's it, just a great great direction by him um every scene works right camera angles and and such i thought it was great and we already talked about this john billingsley who is just so superb as flocks really hits it out of the park with this episode that specific scene that we already discussed between him and t'pol is great i love how older flocks has kind of raggedy hair and his eyebrows are kind of wild and and he's got some gray spots on his skin he just does such a great job as flocks uh, uh, it's funny, we talked about, I remember distinctly when Enterprise first came out, oh, we're getting this new race that we never have seen in Star Trek history. That's not going to work. Well, nobody could pull off a Denobulan more than John Billingsley as Phlox. He's perfect at it. We're seeing something similar in Discovery with the Kelpians and Saru, and uh, I think that he was such a great addition to Enterprise. He may be my favorite character on that show. Uh, one of mine, too. He just, he brings such warmth to Phlox. And, mm-hmm. and such seriousness, and at times such great, well, <laughs> optimism. Optimism, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that that my three standouts really are three stars, and it's three Bs. It's Bacula, Blaylock, and Billingsley. They both, or all three, I should say, pardon me, turn in some of their best performances of the series in this episode, and they create a story that is absolutely compelling from start to finish. What I think people mm-hmm. should do is watch this episode and then listen to this podcast and then go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can overstate how great Bacula and Blaylock are in this episode. And you really can't do Billingsley enough credit with what he brings as the third member of that trio. They all fire on every cylinder um, the intermix is just right. You know, warp. Yeah. <laughs> this warp five starship is going warp nine in this episode with how great it is. 
Huge, yeah. You know, one thing I want to point out, I thought of something we talked earlier about, something that may have bothered me a little bit about this episode, and that was the reaction by Tucker when he said, you can't continue with these experiments. He, with listening to what was going to possibly be fixing this entire thing, he's like, nope, sorry, I can't do it. I understand he's got an upcoming battle. I think the stakes were high enough that they, they should have been able to to try it. Well, perhaps, what do you think? perhaps, but consider it from the other angle, right? There's only 6,000 humans left. Hmm. And he is the guardian of those 6,000 humans. So do I you know, get them to safety or protect them, which has been my job for the last 12 years, or do I go on a hunch? Yeah, it's a tough call. It, it's, yeah, a, it's, certainly it's, a tough a, call. it's certainly a great dilemma for that character. Uh, what would you have done? Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, Captain. <laughs> I, I think I would have made the safe play. You know, Archer's not going anywhere. You know, yeah. if you get people to safety and get out of the system and mm-hmm. evacuate as quickly as you, as you can, you can do this down the road. Whereas if, you know, you engage in battle or, or take the chance and do the experiment right now, you may never get to do it. Okay. But I mean, that's right. making that decision as trip in that moment. In hindsight, right. I do the experiment. I mean, come on. We've got to get Archer back and save Earth. <laughs> How about you? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I can't answer that question. It was only time for one. <laughs> Since what are you the producer think, of this show? I I think that I would have, um, looking at the at the at the way that Flox was telling this and knowing what was at stake, that they could alter history so that Earth wasn't destroyed. Knowing that they had a little bit of time, they wasted a lot of time discussing whether or not they should do it. I would have said, "Get started." I may have to stop you. At least you'll have the opportunity. Dan, there's no time to talk about time. We, we don't have <laughs> the time. Oh, my God. You're going to make me start drinking tequila. What was I saying? <laughs> Dan, I'll tell you what I was saying. Is that we have to thank Five Year Mission for all of the amazing music, music they let us use in every episode of Trek Geeks. You know, you'll hear them on Discovering Trek as well, but we play a huge amount of five-year mission on this podcast, and we are proud to do so every single week. We want everyone to head on over to fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums. The finishing touches are being put on year four as we speak, Dan, and mm. uh, I, I can't wait. They're, you know, they're, they're putting out little blogs and bits of information about the songs they are going to be on year four, and it's yes. just making me anticipate it that much more. I can't wait to get my hands on it. We're going to have huger amounts of five-year mission to play on this podcast pretty soon with that release of year four. Can't wait. The Kickstarter is going to be starting pretty soon, which is very exciting as well. So that that means it's coming. It is going to be right on our doorstep really, really fast. But, you know, Bill, as always, I got to talk about recent episodes that I've been watching. Of course. And um, you remember that that really not good, I'll call it bad, TNG episode, The Price. You remember that one? How could I forget? The Barzan Wormhole. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the one where the two musicians from Fark Ranganar go through the wormhole. Uh. And uh, they end up in the Delta Quadrant of all places. And yeah, they were going to, you know, they were on this planet and they were pretending to be gods, for God's sake. You know, if not for the crew of Voyager, that planet may have turned into the biggest bunch of groupies this universe had ever seen. So, you know, the price wasn't great, but check out the Voyager episode false profarks to see what i'm talking about oh oh my no that maybe that didn't exactly that didn't exactly roll off the tongue i'm gonna say that was um rolled off profarks that was (laughs) that was putrid i'm just gonna come out and say it (laughs) okay thank you so yes i'll do better next week i You keep saying that every week. I keep waiting. It's been 116 episodes. Uh, that's about time to change your prediction. <laughs> but uh, yes, fiveyearmission.net. Please support the band. Show them some love and uh, download all their music. That's all we're asking. Dan, of course, we want people to subscribe to Trek Geeks. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and a variety of other platforms. You're going to head on over to trekgeeks.com and find out just where you can do that very thing. Get it on your mobile device automatically every Tuesday. See, Mm. I pulled a Dan Davidson just there and couldn't say the word automatically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dan, why don't you regale us with what's going to happen next week on this year podcast, the flagship of Trek Geeks. 
Wow, I like I like the sound of that. Um, I'd be happy to. It's it's time, man. It's time for another fun-filled see it or skip it. Yeah, you know we're winding down our TNG seasons, and uh, up next we're gonna have season six on the docket. So it's gonna be pretty awesome. Which episodes gets our thumbs up, and which ones get our thumbs down, as well as the wrath of Amy Nelson. That's coming up next week on an all-new Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Oh, I better show up hey. for that one. That sounds fun. Yes. <laughs> That's a danger every week, but, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. Dan, they also have a brand new Star Trek Discovery podcast, and I love the name. It's Disco Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew you were going to do the match game thing. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Treks, please visit our wonderful friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 116 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Okay, dude. So so I was thinking, all right, I got a great idea. Okay. Listen up. Yeah. Wouldn't it be awesome if at the end of every episode, I ended it with some reference to my love of coconut? That would be so cool. I mean, I don't know why we haven't done this before, man. I mean, we could do something like, you know, incorporate a song from the 70s into it, and I could sing a song about coconut coffee. What do you think? Wouldn't that be awesome? That is the worst idea I've ever heard. It sucks. Okay. Then we're done. Recording has started. As it has for me, Dan. Excellent. That's very good. Now, you're not recording my yeah. side, too, are you? No. Okay, good. Just making sure. I never record your side. Just making sure. Because with your voice okay. meter, you could. Yes, but I don't. I'm just recording me. Oh, isn't that sweet? It is sweet, because if I have to play this back, I won't have to hear your fingernail on the chalkboard. I... That makes no sense at all. I don't talk with my fingernails, Dan. It means that your voice sounds awful. Wow. Yeah, I said it. Wow. Yeah. I don't think you should be throwing stones there, buddy. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh-huh. <laughs> what, are you, uh, what are you drinking for coffee? I've got some uh, Boston Cream Donut, baby. Nice. I'm going yum, uh, yum. cinnamon sugar cookie. Oh, yes, we're waiting for that to come out for Christmas. Sue said she's going to buy a truckload of it when it comes out. Oh, the cinnamon sugar cookie is available all year round. Um, is there something else that she's thinking of then? You might be thinking of Christmas, I'll have to check. Christmas cookie. Yeah, that might be it. Okay. That yeah. or it's a Yankee my... candle flavor. I'm not sure which. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, I'm drinking it in my awesome Walt Disney World Halloween mug. <laughs> I have no response to that. Yeah, he shouldn't, because it's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Really? Oh, you know what else is cool about Halloween? I love Halloween. <laughs> you well, know what's great? No, Dan, we what else a- is great about Halloween? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> we bought a um, a spotlight for the house. You know, at Christmas, you can have ones that have like little decorations or something on the house. Yeah, yeah. This one are floating ghosts all over the front of the house. And we put it on last night, and it was really foggy here in Yarmouth. It was great. It was so great. <laughs> So am I to expect a, a video on Facebook at some point? You might see a video or or, or at least a picture. I just haven't done it yet. I haven't well, taken anything yet. I'll you don't get the full today. effect of, That's uh, of, true. of the ghosty things. That's true. And, you know, if, if, I, if I was working, <laughs> I might get this thing I saw on Facebook, which is a, a projector that projects 3D images on your wall. And, oh, my God, they get some cool stuff like zombie arms crashing through the wall. And it looks 3D. And, like, like hands pushing against the wall and making it look like the wall's, like, moving. Oh, it's it's pretty awesome stuff. Really? And they have Christmas. And, oh, it's really cool. That's kind of bizarre. I'm not going to lie. It 
I, I'll have to send you the link for it because it's pretty neat. It's a hundred bucks though, so I'm not going to get it. Well, maybe someday when you actually rejoin the workforce. I know, nah, yeah, but uh, this is fun. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I'm going to love every minute of this because you just. Were, I'm sure you are. You were horrible That's, to me and, last you know summer. What? I was, and it was well deserved, and I'm I'm going to be getting my own right now. So yes. <laughs> wait, wait, it was well deserved. Oh, I, you know, I love you so much, man, that I have to give you a hard time. That's the way I look at it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I wish uh, you big jerk. I wish we could go back to doing discovering Trek, because I like it there. <laughs> I was gonna say we have to be oh but up here hum the hip dup dup but here we can be like ah your face jerk <laughs> No you still managed to get a couple of zingers in you you gotta break the pattern at some point. Apparently, uh, it's I, hard. It's it's, it's, it's like a heroin needle, man. It's just like a heroin needle. <laughs> Great. Now we're managing to offend anybody that's ever been addicted to heroin. Great, Dan. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean it like that at all. It's hard. Uh, I, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, looking at the news, hmm. Star Trek Online section. Mm-hmm. What's PX? Oh, did I type that wrong? I, was, I, don't, I, know. Just I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Quickly. I'm like, is there is there a platform I don't know about? Oh, there we go. You're such an idiot. <laughs> My typing is not great, or the. <laughs> Nor is my English. No, no kidding. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for correcting my work. But you did it in a good way. I added value. Appreciate that. You're a valuable person. See, when you say it, it just does not sound sincere at all. Maybe because I don't mean it. <laughs> All right, are you, uh, are you ready there?